0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com.
1: So I invite you to follow along as we go through Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Good morning.
0: Uh, Today we're continuing on with uh, the sermon series that they have for us called Three Big Questions. Today is where do we come from? Uh, And it's looking at our origin. Before we do that, let's pray real quick. Uh, God, I ask that you be here, that you open our hearts and minds for the words you have for us, not my words. I ask that you be with me. Uh, Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart so it's pleasing to you. In your name pray, amen. So nobody exists on purpose. Nobody belongs anywhere. Everybody's going to die. Come watch TV. A pretty dark quote to kick off a sermon series looking at our origin. This actually comes from a a comedy cartoon show called Rick and Morty. Um, They have some dark humor within it. Uh, And this is a very dark, very honestly pretty depressing quote when you look at it. Um, Let's pop it up just for a second longer. I know I told you to leave it off, but pop it up just for a second longer. But I think the reality is as dark as this is, as tough as this is, I think apart from Jesus, this quote's very accurate. As dark as it is, for me at least, when I look at it, apart from redemption in Christ, I look at this, this is true. Because for me, when I look at it, I know that I need redemption. I know that I need Christ. I know that I'm very, very broken. And I know that apart from Christ, there's not a lot of purpose in my life. There's not a lot going on. I know that I'm broken and I will always be broken, So there's not much point to it. Let's just watch TV. We're going to kind of look at today's message, this verse in Ephesians 1, and we're going to see if if that has an answer for this idea, this kind of big idea in here, this existential crisis that the characters were going through and never really came to an answer. Just left it at, well, we're going to die. Let's go watch TV. Spoiler alert, I think there is an answer. We'll get to it. Uh, But we're going to kind of dig into that. So we're gonna go back and read that scripture real quick. And here's two big points I want you to be looking for as we read this Ephesians scripture. First off, God loved us before time began. And second off, God planned our rescue before time began. So be looking for that as we read through this. Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his glorious uh, grace, which he freely has given us through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, through the one he loves, sorry. I skipped the line. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined, According to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory, and you were uh, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposited who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a lot of words in there. But hopefully you saw this idea, this idea in there that God loved us before time even began and that God set out to rescue us before time began. Now you may be listening to that and hearing, okay, great, God's a planner. No big deal. I've seen Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, and Ocean's Thirteen. Planning's not that big a deal. You don't know planning until you've seen Danny Ocean plan a heist. It's pretty sweet, John. Hopefully you're not thinking exactly that. Because if you are, come talk to me. We have some bizarre connection between us because that's a very specific thing. But the whole idea I was kind of trying to get here is the plan is just not a sweet Hollywood movie. It's not just an awesome story that somebody planned along the way. God's story for us, God's planning for us for our salvation, for our love, for our creation, all this happening before time began is so much greater than a Hollywood movie, so much greater than any story any human could come up with. And for a few big reasons, what's at stake here is greater than anything we could come up with in Hollywood. And what the cost is, is greater than anything we could come up with in Hollywood. And the story of the rescue is more beautiful and greater than anything on earth we could ever comprehend. Before we get to that rescue, though, we have to ask why. We have to ask why there needed to be a rescue, why this needed to happen, why there needed to be a plan. And the root of that for us as Christians, we look at that and obviously say sin. For us, it's obviously turning our back on God. So I was kind of looking through Scripture as I was prepping for this and trying to find a time in Scripture where I saw someone really turn their back on God uh, in a pretty dramatic way. And it popped into me of of Peter has this time where he denies God in a very dramatic, very intense fashion. So to give you a little bit of background right before this, you may remember it, but going to the Last Supper, they're kind of sitting there and Christ tells Peter, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Peter says, no, God, I'll never deny you. He says, no, you will. And Peter goes to Jesus, says, "Jesus, all these people will leave you. Everyone abandon you, but I won't. I will die before I abandon you, Jesus." Jesus said, "Well, you will." So that's kind of where we are. That's the the preface to it. That's setting it up. Uh, we're going to go to Mark chapter fourteen, verses sixty six to seventy two. We're going to kind of see uh, Peter disowning Jesus, Peter turning his back on Jesus here. While Peter was below in the courtyard, this is after Jesus has been turned over. Uh, this is going into uh, what we know as the Passion. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it and said, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. The servant girl saw him there. And she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. A little while later, those standing near to, uh, said to Peter, surely, you're, you're a Galilean, you sure, or sorry, surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean. Because I could tell by his accents. He began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows tithe twice, you will disown me three times. He broke down and wept. Uh, now, this is one of those times where English breaks down horribly. English is a very poor language in describing things, and this is one of those times that, that happens. Because when it says Peter called down curses on himself, it's a very, very weak translation of what's really happening. In reality, what's going on here, it's probably more accurate to Peter, for Peter to go there and say, may God curse me to hell if I am lying and I know that man Jesus and I am not. In reality, that's probably a more PG version of it. So you can imagine when, when Peter is up there and he is saying, I calls down curses on himself. He's not just saying, you know, curse words. He is literally calling on God to curse him to hell, to damnation, if he is lying and he knows Jesus. This isn't some high school snub. You've been in those moments in high school or wherever where somebody wants to be with the cool kids and they see you and ignore you and act like they don't know you. This is that times like five billion, okay? This denial here is taking it to an extreme and it leaves nothing left. It leaves no doubt. And he goes to this extreme and lays it out there and then immediately he hears that rooster crows and he breaks down and weeps. It's very... Very easy for me to judge Peter. Very easy to look at him and say, Peter, how can you do that? You saw him bring a man back from the dead, Peter. Peter, you saw him feed 5,000, literally take a few loaves of bread and some fish and feed all these people. You were there in these intimate moments with just you and him. You walked with him in ways that I can't even imagine. How can you turn your back on him, Peter? How can you say those things? And it's very easy for me to step back and say that. And then I look in the mirror and know I do exactly the same thing. I know that every day I sin. Every day I turn my back on my God and I say, God, I love you. God, I desire you. I want to follow you. I want to be done with this sin. I want to follow you. And every day I turn from God. I deny him and I turn my back on him just like Peter did. And so as much as I want to cast stones at Peter and look down on him, I know I'm no better. In fact, I'm probably worse. I know that as much as I say, he is my God and I follow him. I keep returning to my sin like a dog going back to his vomit. I keep going back to it. Instead of having this beautiful feast that God created me, I want to be the dog that goes back to eat its own vomit. And as much as I want to judge Peter, I know that's where I'm at. So the reason that God had to create this plan before time existed, this incredible story of rescue, sacrifice, and love, The reason this had to be put into place is because of Peter's denial of Christ, because of my denial of Christ daily, because of our denial, because of our pursuing sin and turning our back on Jesus, on God, on this relationship day in, day out. The reason this great story had to be put into place is because of our sin. And that's why the story, that's one of the many reasons why this story is greater than any Hollywood movie. Because here's the thing that happened. We see our brokenness, we see our sin, and we know that God knew this before time began. Yet he still chose to create us in love. You step out and see the beautiful trees around you. God created that knowing we would turn our back on him. Knowing exactly what Peter would do. Knowing what I would do knowing I would betray him and it would crush his heart, yet he still chose to create us in love and beauty. He still chose to create us knowing what we would do and ultimately knowing what the cost would be. And that cost was immense. We know Christ. We've heard it time and time again of this idea of Christ being the cost, being the sacrifice for our sin out of love. But I want to take a look at the scripture. where uh, We see it a little more vividly. And I want to look through it and dwell on it just for a little bit and so we can really look and, and dig into this idea of this cost and the plan that's so beautiful. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. This is after the garden, uh, after after the the torture. And Jesus is on the cross. This is one of the very last things he says, coming close to the end. There's a couple last things he said. This is one of them. And in verse 45, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? There's two huge things here that are very unique. First off, obviously when it says Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and it says this in an obviously different tongue, you know, then it would have been written in Aramaic and Greek. For us, it's Aramaic and, and English. But it's just very unique. If the writer chose to, to capture that Aramaic and leave it in there, I think there's a reason. We'll get to that. And two... There's something we see here that's never happened before. See, up until this point, God the Father and God the Son have existed in perfect unity through all of eternity. They've had the love they had is perfection, literal per- perfection, and complete unity through all of time and before time began. I mean, a love that when you look at the greatest marriage you can ever think of, the marriage you look to and be like, I hope we have that someday, that love that's captured in that marriage is a tiny drop of water compared to the ocean. I mean, that's how we're talking about the love that God the Father had for God the Son that has existed in this perfect unity together without separation. So far in Jesus, in this trial, after leaving the garden, being tortured, whip, all these different brutal tortures he receives. Jesus doesn't really react a whole lot. I mean, he does. I'm sure he's, he's, it's painful. But we don't see anything dramatic like this until this moment. And I think there's a reason for that. Because in this moment, what we're seeing is a brutal ripping of a perfect unity that has existed. We're seeing our sin being placed on Jesus as he, he causes a sacrifice and is ripped from the Father for the first time. And so I think that when we look at this, not to trivialize and minimize the pain of the physical torture, but to look at this and say, that was the physical torture. I think he's reacting here because this is so much more painful because the first time in eternity, Jesus is now experiencing this separation because of our denial. And so you look at the the cost of this. It's so immense that even the incredible physical torture, I think, is minimalized compared to the spiritual anguish that he was going on. And I think when, the, when they read this, I think it's captured in that Aramaic because it was so burned in their memory the moment they heard it. It's one of those moments that you can see, you can taste, you can smell, know exactly where it is because it was such a dramatic, intense, and powerful moment where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So again, why is it greater than a Hollywood story? Because God not only created this world in love, he created this world in love, created you and me, knowing we would portray him, knowing that would be the cost. Knowing the cost would be putting his own sin to experiencing that incredible pain. That's why the story is greater. That's why our origin, where we come from, God planning our existence long ago is such a great and powerful and amazing truth. Because when we read Ephesians 1 through the lens of our sin and Christ's sacrifice, it literally changes everything. Without, our, without Christ's sacrifice, that quote we heard at the beginning, I think is pretty on point. There's not much purpose because we can't really do anything. We have no hope. But through Christ's sacrifice, our sin is redeemed. And we see that in Ephesians 1, and it's beautiful. We're going to go just a little bit further in both of these stories. We're going to go to uh, a little bit further in Peter's story first. So Christ has died at this point now. Uh, The disciples went into hiding. They were confused. They They were lost, and they weren't sure what to do. Christ is resurrected. And now at this point in the story, we see them out fishing on a boat. Jesus comes walking up in the distance, and the moment they realize it's Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat, swims and rushes and sprints up and rushes to God, wraps him up, and he is so excited. And then this is where we come to the story. Um, We're going to go to John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, by the way, do you think that was an awkward meal? I kind of think of Peter as like, I don't know, it's not written, but I kind of think as Peter like going in there of, I'm so excited, and then the moment that kind of initial greeting starts happening, he's like, what do I say? How do I bring this up? And he kind of sits towards the outside of the circle. I don't know, that's just kind of how I would be in that situation. You're like, how do I get back from this? I don't know. So that's where we're coming into. When they had finished eating, Jesus said said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I lo- you know all things, and you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to in- indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I don't think it's coincidence that Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? In fact, I think Peter knew exactly what was going on in this moment. And I think that's why Peter was so crushed because Jesus was taking one of the most shameful, if not the most shameful point in Peter's life where he turned his back on Jesus, the one thing he said he wouldn't do, and he pushes into him and says, do you love me? Or do you love me? Peter, do you love me? See, Peter't Jesus doesn't just sweep Peter's sin under the rug. He doesn't ignore it and act like it's a big deal. He looks at it and says, "I know this sin. I know you betrayed me. I know you turned your back on me." But the beautiful thing is, right after that, Jesus invites him back into a relationship with him. because when we turn our back on God, he sees our sin, but he says, "My love is greater." That sin does not define you. You betraying me, you turning your back on me does not define me, define you. Let's look at John 19, 30, just a little bit further in Jesus' story. So Jesus is now gone uh, just after he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he had uh, received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirits. Again, this is another moment where English falls really, really short of describing what was really said. Because the word that was used there is setelestai. The word setelestai is not just it's over. This tough time is over. This torture is over. Finally, I can be done with this. No, there's something much deeper going on in this word. To teleste, it means there's so much death. It means the law has been fulfilled. Sin is over. Death is over. All these things, they are now over and done with. I have declared victory is, is mine. It is over. It is finished. It is paid for. So when Jesus cries out, to telesty, it is finished. There is so much depth and so much beauty here because he's calling out any identity for all of us that is not based in Jesus Christ. Anything at all that calls for your identity that is not Jesus is finished. You are not defined by that. No matter how many times we turn our back and run away from Jesus, we are not defined by that. We are not defined by our sin. We are defined by Christ and Christ alone. So, Jesus looks at Peter the same way he looks at us. He sees a sin and says, I know this happened, but it does not define you. I define you because that is finished. It was put on the cross and it died with me. Nothing you can ever do will make me love you more or make me love you less because I love you. I defined your identity, your price by dying on that cross. This is why that that Rick and Morty quote is so wrong. Because through Christ, we do belong. We do have a purpose. We were created for something. In fact, that something, our purpose, our price was defined before time began. And so the reason this story is so great, so amazing, the reason, this is exactly what Ephesians 1 is saying. The reason this story is so great and so amazing is because our God chose to love us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our betrayal, in spite of our turning our back on him. And nothing Peter will do, even this intense, dramatic moment of his betrayal, turning his back on Christ, will define Peter. Peter. Me returning to my sin and time and time again will not define me because I am defined by Christ and Christ alone. Your path, whatever your path is, does not define you, nor does anyone else. Christ and Christ alone defines us. Our God loves us more than we can possibly ask for or imagine by planning that love out, knowing the consequences before we even existed. That is why this story is greater than Oceans 11. Yes, Oceans 11 is awesome, I love it. It's very cool planning. But what's going on here is something so much deeper, so much greater than we can even comprehend. And your life is forever set in Jesus Christ because it is finished. Let's pray. God, I thank you you are a God who chose to love us, who gives us our identity based on you and not on me not on us, because we are very broken people, we are very sinful, and we know that, we know you are greater, your love is greater than our sin, and it always will be, it is finished, let us live in that and rejoice in that, knowing it changes everything, knowing we don't have to live in that Rick and Morty quote, saying there's no point to life, let's just go watch TV, no, we have a point. And that's you. That is your love, Jesus Christ. Let us live in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas.
1: Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.